Evening, everyone. Great to have you here. I'm Dan. I'm one of the leaders of Kings and really want to add my own welcome to you this evening. I'm launching a, a brand new teaching series tonight called What Would Jesus Say About... Dot, dot, dot. And each week we're going to cover a dot, dot, dot. And this week I'm going to be talking about this subject. What would Jesus say about the church? Okay, so here's the idea behind this series that Jesus has important things to say to us as the human race and as Christians about pretty much everything. And tonight we're going to look at one topic that he talks about and that he would say things about if he was here, right here, standing like I am today, what would he say about the church? And to get us going, thinking about this subject, um, somebody once uh, asked a a, a well-known church leader this question, and uh, he retells the story on this short video that he does on an American chat show. So we're just going to watch this video. People often say to me, they say, J. John, you know, what, what do you do? It's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport. And I said, hello. And she said, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well. (laughs) I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work, we've got orphanages, we've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. Brilliant. I love that. So, what would Jesus say about the church? And, uh, in fact, I, I don't know what your view of the church is. I don't know what, maybe you're new to church. Maybe you've come along tonight for the first time, because many people these days would be very cynical. They'd say, well, it's just church, isn't it? It's some religious thing. Some people would be disillusioned. They've been, perhaps been hurt by past experiences of church. Some people, it might just rouse feelings of extreme anger in their hearts as they think, I just hate it. I hate religion. I hate church. And it's important for us tonight to get to grips with what Jesus says about it because there's healing and there's hope and there's change of mind to be found in the things that he teaches about his church. And it's not a hypothetical question we're asking tonight. Because when we say, well, what would Jesus say to the church? Well, the Bible says this. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
That means words that he spoke 2,000 years ago as he described his church and what it's meant to be are equally valid today and as white-hot relevant today as they ever have been. So we're going to be looking in a few minutes at what he says, but this is one of the core verses we're going to read from the Bible tonight. It's this verse, it says, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. This is what Jesus says, says, I will build my church. I love the church. And Jesus does too. Now it seems to me that there's two cultural drifts that have happened in Christendom over centuries. One is a drift towards institutionalism, where things have just grown traditional and old and cold. And that's why many people who don't come to church, when they sort of hear some of the teachings of Christianity, they say, well, you know what, the the church should just modernize a bit and change its viewpoints, as if it was just some human institution where we could just kind of rewrite it and do what we wanted with it. And it misses the point that Jesus says, well, it's my church. It's the thing that I built. I'm the founder. I'm the owner. I'm the senior pastor. And Jesus is the one who's going to one day hold the church to account. In fact, you read in the book of Revelation that Jesus goes around churches and he's talking to them and he's looking at them and correcting them. And he's saying, how about this? You're doing this well, but you need to be doing this differently. We need to beware the drift towards institutionalism. But then I think here's the equal and opposite drift, which I think probably we're more prone to in our age today. And it's this, it's the drift towards individualism. It's the drift that towards saying, well, it's not really about church, it's just about me and Jesus. It's, it's me and my adventure with God. It's me and how I define my Christianity. And whether I go to church, this church, that church, or any church, or whether I just sit at home by myself and I pray by myself, that's all that matters because church is what I make it. And I think when you take that view, you rob yourself of something incredibly important and valuable that Jesus wants to give to you as a gift. And it's this community, this people called the church. And in that verse, Jesus never promised that some institution would be able to batter down the gates of hell and death. He never promised that you and Jesus would be able to do that by yourselves. But he did say this, that a church that he builds with people that he creates and brings into it is capable of incredible things. I think the church, when it's working right, is the most powerful force in all the world. So in this passage we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 16, you can look at it if you've got a Bible with you, you find that Jesus begins to talk about this subject. And it's on the back of some issues that have been going on where he is, he says in the final verses of the previous chapter, he says, um, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So the disciples were kind of listening to some of the religious leaders of the day. And right away we see that Jesus isn't with the in crowd of organized religion. He says this amazing comment to his disciples. He says, He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they understood that he was warning them about organized religion and its perils. So whatever he's talking about, when he's talking about the church in these next verses we're going to read, he's not saying, oh, let's just have another religion here. He's saying, I'm doing something different in the world today. 
So let's look at it. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 16, verse 12. Uh, Sorry, verse 13. Then Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So here we find this phrase buried in the middle of this conversation he has with Simon Peter. And Jesus says, I will build my church. We, to understand this correctly, we just need to do a little bit of a, a word study. You up for a bit of Greek here? Yeah. Wow, love that. Educated Edinburgh a lot. They love Greek. <laughs> Amazing. Right, so the, the Greek word for church that Jesus uses here is not an original word. It's not a brand new word that suddenly Jesus magicked up out of somewhere 2,000 years ago. The Greek word is ecclesia. Okay, and we get words like ecclesiastical from that, which kind of means churchy, doesn't it? And, um, and Jesus, uh, uh, anyway, so um, the Greek word ecclesia appears many, many times in the translation of the Old Testament into New, into New Testament Greek, which Jesus' disciples would have had access to in his time. So this word ecclesia It has this sense, so we're going to just understand what they would have understood when Jesus said, I will build my church, I'll build my ecclesia. This is what would have come to their mind. So one of the occasional uses in the Old Testament was this sense of a crowd, a crowd. So when David uh, came before Goliath, he says there was a crowd of Israelites and Philistines, and just meant a general crowd of people. And uh, and David said, "I, I will show you before this assembly here today, this ecclesia, that, that, that God wins his battles. And then that sense of a crowd. It could also mean, be used that way in a negative sense. So uh, in Psalm 26, David says, I don't want to stand in the ecclesia, the assembly of evildoers. And he was saying, I don't want to be in that bad group of people. I don't want to be in that group of people where they get up to no good. And there's an understanding here. So as Jesus is talking about his ecclesia, we've got to understand that he's recognizing that the world is broken up into groups. We live in an incredibly divided world. And some of those divisions are fine. Some of them are based around interests. Some of them are based around things that we love. Some of those are family groups. Some of those are right political causes. But some of those are evil. So you have white supremacists who gather together for for evil intent. You get people who gather together for good intent. Aid workers, they'll go and help out when a hurricane hits Florida or Cuba or wherever it is, and they'll say, yeah, we're going to do this together. It's a group for good intent. Some of those groups are neutral, like if you belong to a chess club (laughs) or if you're Swiss. (laughs) I thought that was good. So, but here's the thing about Jesus' church. 
It's not just a generic group. He's saying, I'm doing something different. So they're understanding, okay, there's a crowd, there's a group. And Jesus is saying, yeah, there's a crowd and there's a group. But he's redefining what it means. And in the Old Testament, this word ecclesia, it came to be associated with God's covenant people. The people that he'd created for himself, the Israelites, the people that he'd called out of Egypt, led through the wilderness, and he, he appeared to them on the mount where he gave them the Ten Commandments, and, he, and Moses stood before the assembly, the ecclesia, and God revealed himself to that people. They became his covenant people. It's a covenant word. And they'd have understood when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. It's a covenant people that he's creating. It wasn't just a continuation of the old. And that old covenant community, they, they would do stuff together. There was a sense of great unity among them. So at times they would worship together. The Israelite people, it was a singing community. It was a worshiping community. So you read in 2 Chronicles 29, the whole assembly bowed in worship while the musicians played and the trumpet sounded. For example, many times they'd just be worshiping together. Sometimes people say, well, isn't church just when you get together with your pals and have a coffee? Well, that can be an expression of it. But part of it is this, we join together and we worship the God who has brought us into covenant relationship with himself through Jesus. Here's another thing they'd do together. They would pray to God together. Sometimes the king or the priest of of the covenant community would lead them in prayer to God. Sometimes they would be called to turn away from wrongdoing together. So there was this clear sense in the community of God, the people of God, that there was right and wrong. There was a standard which God said was acceptable and what was not. And within the community of God, not outside the community, but inside the community, there was an understanding, well, this is how we're to live. In fact, if you look in Proverbs chapter 5, you find this verse where uh, Solomon says, He's, he's, he's self-describing. He says, he says, I would not listen to instruction, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. I love that. Here's, here's what he's saying. When I wasn't doing the right thing, I knew that when I went among God's people, they'd be having words about it. That's what covenant community looks like. It's not just a free-for-all where we tip up if we want and we self-describe what we believe. It's where we actually call one another to account. There were times when they made choices together as a nation to follow God. And church is meant to be that place. Now, in Old Testament times, the ecclesia had a very clear line around it. It was the community of Israel. It was a certain nation group on earth. And even within that nation group, there were certain people who could belong and certain people who couldn't belong. It was very hard to become part of that community. And that's to describe what was a limited community But Jesus says into that, well, I will build my church. So he's saying, I'm not carrying on with that old way of doing things. He takes the best of it. And church is meant to be a worshipping, praying, people who live by God's standard, where people hold each other to account to live for God. But here's the wonderful thing about this group. It's not limited. It's clear who's in that group. But here's a description of the end of time church in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says this. He says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here's where we're destined for. A massive multitude who Jesus has built into his church. And today, we are just one community of that here today, across the world and across Edinburgh. And whilst that crowd is open to all people to come, there's a clear understanding that this is a community of faith. It's a place where people cross a line and they say, well, I belong because Jesus is my Messiah. And in these verses we read today, we see that's the conversation that seems to define what the church is. And when Jesus says to that group of people there on that day, he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Whoever you are here tonight, I want to suggest that's the most important question you can ever ask, by the way. Who is Jesus? That's a question we'd love to help you answer through the Alpha course and through conversation. But here's some of the things that Jesus would say about his church from these verses that we've read today. Let me give you four things that we can think about. Firstly, he'd say this, it's my church. It's my church. It belongs to me. It's a people centered on Jesus, where Jesus is always the main thing. Jesus creates a new thing. And let me ask you, which covenant of God, if you're a Christian here, which covenant of God is is better? The old covenant or the new covenant? It's not a trick question. The old or the new? It's the new. Of course it's the new. In fact, the, the book of Hebrews says it's superior in every way. Because the old covenant was built on obedience to law. The new covenant is built on salvation by grace that Jesus gives to us freely. So we're in continued relationship with him. Therefore, if the church is going to be defined as Jesus' church, it needs to be defined by the wonders of who he is and the covenant he's made with us. Isn't that right? Now, that means that the church should speak volumes about Jesus in word, in style, in love, in everything. You know, sometimes you can go to a church, and the attitude can be something like this, that we make, they can make church such an austere experience. The pews are hard, and the lights are bright, and the welcome is awful. And they, they say, no, but... We're going to talk about Jesus because we, we, we don't want to detract from him. We want to tell people how amazing he is. And you kind of think, well, okay, that's one way of doing it. I think something we're passionate about as a church is this, that we want to speak volumes about the amazing love of God in Jesus. When you came in tonight, I hope that you got the warmest welcome that you've ever got. Because Jesus gives us the warmest welcome we've ever got by when we became Christians. He invited us into his family. We want our meetings to be creative. We want our worship to be excellent because it speaks of his worth and his might and his wonder. We want to use our gifts to make King's Church the best place it can be. We want to be a loving church to express the love of Jesus in tangible ways through pastoral care, through reaching out to those in need with hands and feet that are devoted to Jesus and meeting need wherever we find it. 
We want to be a people who have clarity about who he is, that he's not, as Peter said, he's not just a man or a prophet, but he's the Messiah. So wherever we go, we tell people this wonderful message that he's God's instrument, he's God's son, he's God's Christ, he's God's Messiah, he's God's chosen one. And what you find is that when the early church took this teaching, And when Jesus said to them in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this is what they did intuitively. There was no strategy meeting saying, how on earth are we going to make disciples? This is what they did. They went from place to place. They told people about Jesus. And what did they do? They started churches. They started churches. They didn't start other stuff. They didn't start teaching centers or universities on how to be a Christian. They started churches, communities of God's people where people would come and hang out, where they'd get to know each other, where teachers would teach what the Bible says of how to be a Christian and how to reach other people with his love, where people would worship together, pray together, be family together. Now, this is our heart for this evening service that we're creating here tonight. I know it's the first one. We don't just want this to be some kind of worship experience where people come and say, well, it was good, wasn't it? Nine out of ten? It's pretty good today, Rachel, wasn't it? Really good. <laughs> where people come for the, for the teaching and say, well, I'd just love to get a bit of a top-up at King's with some good teaching. No, we want this to be a God community. We want this to be church. We want this to be a gathering. We want it to be God's ecclesia here on the earth where People experience the presence and power and the word of God and where people know each other, where people know you and you're known. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? This is our dream for this. Not, not that we're just some overflow meeting from one, but this is a genuine community. We even put you around tables because this is the dream, <laughs> that you might talk to one another and get to know one another and drink coffee together and, and the beginnings of friendships right here tonight. Here's the second thing. So that was, it's people centered on Jesus. Secondly, it's, it's a place where we follow leaders who are called by Jesus. It's built, the church must be built on leaders who know Jesus is. Jesus said, it's not the Pharisees and Sadducees. They don't understand it. Jesus doesn't appoint religious experts to lead his church. He appoints people who have a revelation of who he is. Isn't it simple? This crowd of people, this crowd of leaders that Jesus chose, of whom Peter was one, He was a fisherman. Other ones of them were fishermen or tax collectors or religious zealots. The Apostle Paul, he was their most highly educated prize. He came along later. But here's the thing that all of them had. It was a revelation of who Jesus was. So when Jesus said, in answer to Jesus' question, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter often said things wrong. The gospel writers seem quite keen on recording the times he said things wrong. But on this occasion, I think because he said something right, that we're going to get this one down. Because he identified Jesus correctly. And and I love the humor of this this episode. I don't know if you, you, you see it as we read it. Peter finally says the right thing. He says, he says you're, you're, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. 
And I think Jesus says, bless the youth. Simon must be feeling really proud of himself right now. He said, I got an answer to the question, right. And Jesus responds in this humorous way. He says, so Peter said, you're Jesus, son of God. And Jesus says, well done, Peter, you're son of Jonah. (laughs) Son of God, son of some random guy called Jonah. (laughs) The point he's making, which which I believe is where, 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 where institutional churches have got this wrong in the past, he's not making a great point about how great Peter is and he's a foundational solid rock kind of guy. Peter wasn't a solid rock kind of guy. But what he did have was a knowledge of Jesus. And what he did have was a revelation from God about who Jesus was, and that's all that counted. And Jesus said, well done, Simon. Well done, Peter. He calls him a rock, because that's what Peter means. He says, and on this rock, this rock of understanding, this rock of revelation of who Jesus is, I will build my church. These leaders were imperfect, but they were called by God. Some of you here tonight have been called by God to lead in his church. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's not the only thing. You can lead in hundreds of other ways that are glorifying to God in equal ways all across the world and in society. But here's what I'd say to you. Don't become a church leader unless Jesus calls you to do it. And I'd say this to you as well, if you feel too inadequate to be a church leader, if you, think, you feel like God's calling you to do it, but you feel, I just can't, I'm not that kind of person, do it if Jesus is telling you to. Because he built his church on people that he reveals himself to. Third thing about the church of Jesus, what would he say? He'd say, my church is to do my work. Church is to be a place that extends the ministry and the, the kingdom of God wherever it goes. So Jesus said to Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These verses, people would argue about what exactly they mean, but there seems to be this heavenly authority invested in Peter and in the church and the close association between heaven's will and Peter's actions. Let me give you an example of this. There's a sense in which God reveals to Peter what he's already choosing to do in heaven. So do you remember that time when God wanted to bring the whole Gentile world to to know the gospel? That's kind of why we're all here. And he was telling Peter, Peter, we're going to do this. He kept giving him visions about it. And Peter said, no, I don't think so, Lord. I don't think so. And God's kind of dangling the keys. Remember, I've given you the keys, Peter. I'm going to do it through you. And so anyway, God persists with Peter, and Peter finally goes to a Gentile's house, to Cornelius' house, and an amazing thing happens. As Peter puts the key in the door, a dozen or so people become Christians on that day. And then more follow, hundreds, thousands, millions, billions come to faith in Jesus, because Peter went in obedience to God on that occasion. Here's the thing that you and I are called to as Christians, to build the church of Jesus. It's, called, it's just to do what God's already doing. It's to follow his will. It's to follow his plan. It's to take the keys he's giving us into places where he takes us and to just do what he wants us to do. Let me close with a story. I'm kind of out of time here, but 
I, any of you know me, you know I'm, I'm pretty ropey on sharing my faith with other people. I'm, that's something I want to do better at. And uh, last week I was kind of encouraging people, come invite your friends to John Archer at night. And I was like, yeah, I must do that myself as well. And so I, I, th- I was praying about it uh, this last week. And I, I was saying, God, will you give me an opportunity? I had, a, a, a ba- I had an appointment in, in the bank with my, uh, my relationship manager, which is always a funny expression, isn't it? <laughs> I always feel like he's going to give me advice on my marriage or something. But anyway, I met with my relationship manager, and, and it, it, was, it was just to talk about a load of routine stuff about banking. It took forever. I was, honestly, I was in there for two hours. I couldn't believe how long this meeting was. Um, but he was a nice guy, and we got chatting. And, and uh, Anyway, one of the forms we had to fill in, it was, you know, what, what, what's your job then? And and uh, you know, I said, well, I'm a, I'm a church leader. And, and he just paused, and he, he looked at me and he said, oh. And you could see what was going on in his head. He was thinking, can I ask this guy questions on company time? So anyway, he paused for it, and then he said, he said, well, he said, the question I've always had is, do you think that a God of love should just forgive everybody and not send people to hell. So, wow, I came here to fill in some forms. <laughs> and you know, I, I prayed and I said, God, just give me help to wisely answer this question. This isn't an easy one. I, 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 I gave my wisest answer I could to that question. And, and he said, yeah, he said, I, I think that makes sense. So he said, God should hold us to account if, we're, if he's good and there's evil in the world. So surely he should hold us all to account. He said, yeah, that, that makes real sense. I said, well, I said, do you like comedy? <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, well, come to this event. He said, yeah, I'd love to come. And I was just in the place and the time where somebody was asking a question, and God used that so that I could invite somebody along. He'll do that with you as well, because God has given you gifts, and he will use you. Take the keys that God is giving you. A, a, a guy called Arthur Wallace once said this. He said, if you do the best thing with your life, then find what God is doing in your generation and throw yourself fully into it. This is my understanding of God's plan and purpose for his church. It's the most incredible thing that you could give your life to, to build his church, to be a participant in this global thing that J. John described at the beginning, that is working all around the world for the good of humanity, to rescue people from all sorts of situations, to teach them about Jesus and find, help them find salvation and changing eternal destinies. Isn't that amazing? So, Lord, we want to just say thank you for your great love. Thank you for your great purpose. Help us to be those who build your church and partner with you in seeing our city and our nation change for your glory. Amen.